Let's turn to Psalm 23. I'll abbreviate the study a little bit this morning, but we're going to start a new summer series today um, that I'm calling Living in God's Strength. Living in God's Strength, and it's based on Psalm 23. Our goal is going to be uh, to do one verse every week. Psalm 23 has six verses. We're going to do a verse a week, Lord willing, uh, because there is so much richness in this text. Some of you have memorized this. Um, a second goal that I have for us as a congregation is that by the time we finish this study in August, that we have memorized this whole chapter. Now, some of you, show me hands, how many of you memorized Psalm 23? Okay, uh, some of you, but we're all going to memorize it, all right? So, you know, go ahead and prepare for that. Um, I want, by the end of the by the end of the summer, for us all to be quoting this without any verses around the screen or a Bible in our hand. I want our kids to learn it because Psalm 23 is rich and it's wonderful uh, and it's just a great, great uh, passage of Scripture. It's very encouraging. It will strengthen us. It will um, give us a boost of confidence and, and encouragement and contentment uh, because this psalm is all based on the power and sufficiency of the Lord. When we talk about the Lord, when we talk about his power and his sufficiency, there's no way physically, emotionally, mentally for us to be discouraged. When we sang this morning, right, I don't know how you walked in this morning, whether you're tired or discouraged or depressed or worried or whatever, but when you start singing some of the songs we sang this morning, you, you can't maintain that, right? You start to think about the Lord and the greatness of his grace and his power and sufficiency and we've overcome sin and, and I mean, all those things and all of a sudden your heart's just kind of boosted and changed and that's what Psalm 23 does. It, it, it really just in the middle of this uncertain, crazy, weird, illogical, everybody has just kind of lost their minds time, right? I mean, I, just scrolling down one page in the news, I'm like, the world has gone crazy, like more so than before. And, and in the middle of that, we have this, this respite, we have this oasis of truth where God shows us how wonderful he is and how we can live in the strength of God. So we're going to read the psalm out loud together. We're going to put it on the screen um, here, and we're going to read it together. And then we're going to memorize verse 1 this morning, all right? Because it's not that hard. So let's all read together. Ready? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me behind quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Praise the Lord. Now let's get back to verse 1. All right, you ready? Let's say it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Take it off the screen for me. Let's say it again. Ready? All right, can't cheat. Ready? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Very simple, right? Very simple. We've already memorized verse 1. And we're going to dive into that verse this morning because the primary truth, as you see in verse 1, is that the Lord is my shepherd. 
That's the foundation for everything that's in the psalm. It's the foundation showing that there is a personal relationship between the Lord and those who trust in him. There's a personal relationship between the Lord and those who live for him. Now that is vitally important for us to understand right at the outset because it tells us who the Lord is and it tells us who we are. And if we're unclear about that or we dispute that in any way, if, if, if that's not true to us or we don't embrace that, it will lead us to distrust and rebellion and spiritual conflict with the Lord. But I want to tell you, that verse that's on the screen, that is truth. And we'll never walk by faith, we'll never rely on the Lord unless and until we accept the conditions and the terms of our relationship that's shown in Psalm 23.1. So let's dive into it this morning. I want to I take it in two phrases, okay? You see there's a comma there between the words, only nine words. Uh, there's a comma there, so we're going to take the two phrases and we're going to look at two truths for each phrase, okay? We'll go through it quickly, take some notes this morning. This is a very personal psalm and these are very personal truths and these are important for us to understand uh, as the foundation for the next six weeks, okay? Truth number one, the Lord is my shepherd, so that means I'm a sheep, the Lord is my shepherd, so that means I'm a sheep. Now, this is the most uncomfortable part of the study. Let's just go ahead and get it out of the way right now because it is kind of painful to admit that we're a sheep, right? Let's confess it together. Let's say on the count of three, as loud as we can, I am a sheep, okay? You ready? One, two, three. I am a sheep. Yes, you are, and so am I. And once we realize what a sheep is like, we're not going to be so excited about that reality. In fact, we may say, well, I want to take back what I just said. But you can't. You said it in the presence of the Lord. And it's true. I am a sheep. Paul Rhodes is a sheep. And Isaiah 53 confirms it. It says, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us to fall on him. Speaking of Jesus, praise the Lord for that. All of us, every single person who's ever lived, every single person who will live until the Lord returns, is a sheep. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all are inadequate in terms of righteousness. We've all strayed far from the Lord. We're full of iniquity. The word means depravity, perversity, and guilt. Paul Rhodes is full of depravity, perversity, and guilt before Jesus saves him. Every single person is full of depravity, perversity, and guilt. And even after we trust Jesus as Savior, even after we're cleansed and purified and redeemed, we don't stop being sheep. It was interesting because we went to the uh, final session on Friday morning at Worldview, and the, the speaker uh, was talking about this concept. And I thought, well, that's confirmation of the study. And he said, even though you're saved, you're still a sheep because he said, you're just running with a different herd, but you still have sheep-like tendencies. And that's true. Jesus himself called those of us who love him his sheep. John 10, we'll look at it later on in a couple weeks, but he said, 
you've been redeemed. You can be redeemed by me, but you are still a sheep. But your heart changes, and your goals change, and your desires change. Why? Because look at the verse. Because we have a new shepherd. See, before salvation, before Jesus, we're our own sheep wandering around, following a shepherd who wants to kill us and destroy us and, and, and corrupt us and give us misery. The devil lies about that. He's an angel of light, remember. He's a liar and a deceiver. So he presents himself as, if you follow me, your life is going to be wonderful and happy and full of all kinds of things that you want. Just don't follow Jesus because he's going to restrict you. And God says, nope, he's a liar. He's a destroyer. He wants to kill and he wants to destroy every single person. So you need a new shepherd. And Jesus comes along and he becomes our shepherd. Because look at that key adjective right before the word shepherd. Tell me what it says. It says he's my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, let's deal with the uncomfortable fact of being a sheep. Because you and I are sheep. And being a sheep is not a positive characteristic. Sheep are not the smartest animals alive. In fact, they're really at the bottom of the intellectual food chain. They're not smart animals. They're, they're kind of stupid. I know some people don't like using that word, so forgive me. Here are some of the natural traits. And I want you to write these down real quick because we're going to come back to them in a couple minutes. Here are some of the natural traits of sheep. Number one, they're highly dependent. They're highly dependent. Number two, they're somewhat unintelligent. Somewhat unintelligent. In other words, they're dumb. Number three, they're very stubborn. Highly dependent, not very smart, very stubborn. Number four, they're hesitant to listen. Number five, they're prone to wander away. Sorry. Highly dependent, somewhat unintelligent, very stubborn, hesitant to listen, prone to wander away, and they're clueless about which way to go without a shepherd. They're clueless about which way to go without a shepherd. Now, when you look at that list that you just wrote down from a spiritual perspective, it's easy to see why our sin produces sheep-like characteristics. Because when you combine it with our pride, we become very unwise and we become very resistant to God. But that can change and it does change when we trust Christ as Savior. He's the one who transforms us. So we come to the great, what I'm calling the great spiritual dilemma that every single person faces, every man, every woman that has ever lived faces the great spiritual dilemma, and it has two parts. The first part is, I have to make a decision. Do I admit that I'm a spiritual sheep? Do I admit that I'm a spiritual sheep? In other words, do I agree with what God says that I am spiritually clueless, that I'm needy, that I'm dependent, and here's the word, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Do I confess that 
on my own, that I don't have the wisdom or the ability to survive spiritually because sin has corrupted me and that's made me helpless and it's made me spiritually astray. You know, the Bible says that no one can be saved, no one can receive the grace of God through Christ Jesus unless they confess with their mouth and believe with their heart that he is the only Savior and the only Lord. And here's the problem. Our pride vehemently fights against that fact. Our pride desperately resists that because nothing in human nature likes admitting that you're wrong, right? I don't ever like admitting that I'm wrong. Even if it, it, the, the evidence is so painfully obvious that people are laughing at me because I'm trying to still hold on to the fact, well, I wasn't really wrong. Have you ever been in that situation where it's so obvious, but you're like, you know what? I'm not giving in. This happens in marriage sometimes, doesn't it? I, I, but, well, that's not what I said. Yeah, it is. It's exactly. I, look, I have it recorded on my phone. No, but I'm not. I, I was right. You know, you ever been in that position? We hate admitting we're wrong. Now have to admit everything that I am, everything that I've ever done is wrong spiritually. My whole essence, my whole being, my soul is wrong. The, the, the difficulty of humanity this morning is that we don't want to admit that we're spiritual sheep. And then part two of the great spiritual dilemma is, am I willing to follow a new shepherd? Because once you start following Jesus, once you trust him and confess you are a sheep, you realize that our self-shepherding is completely useless. Our, our, our managing of our lives, our control of our lives is completely useless. Because if I'm a sheep, then my inherent qualities are lack of wisdom and dependence and affinity for wandering and no sense of direction. How exactly am I going to lead my life? If I'm clueless and just wandering around... How am I going to make it through spiritually? How am I going to do enough spiritually? I need a shepherd, right? I need somebody to show me spiritually. I need somebody to, to rescue me and guard me and feed me and lead me because I can't do those things for myself. So the Lord is my shepherd, which means I'm a sheep. Number two, the Lord is my shepherd because I always need one. I always need a shepherd. Now, shepherding was very common in the Middle East in the time when David wrote this, and, and in many ways it still is. It's pictured all throughout the Bible. Some of the most famous names in the Old Testament were shepherds. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, David, Amos, they were all shepherds. We know that shepherds are important because the first people that heard the news that Jesus had come to be born uh, and to redeem us from our sins were who? The shepherds, right? The shepherds who were outside of Bethlehem. All throughout Scripture, the Lord is shown as a shepherd from Genesis chapter 46, where Jacob blesses J uh, Joseph, and he says, God has been my shepherd all my life, to Revelation chapter 7, where John sees Jesus in heaven, and he says, the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. In John 10, which we'll look at in a couple weeks, 
Jesus himself says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. First Peter 2 says, all we are like sheep who have constantly strayed, but now we've returned to the shepherd and guardians of our souls. And then 1 Peter 4, uh, 5 later on says, the chief shepherd will someday return for his sheep, and when he appears, his children will receive an unfading crown of glory. All throughout the Bible, God pictures himself as the ultimate shepherd of his people. And he takes that position because we are completely inclined to act as sheep. So the essence of being a Christian, the essence of, of living as his children and his servants and his disciples rests on our willingness to admit that we are dependent sheep who need to follow a shepherd. And when we are saved, we're given a new nature, we're transformed, our mind is renewed, and we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and there's a complete renovation of how we think and how we act. We go from living for ourselves, depending on ourselves, to living for Christ, trusting in Him, and depending on Him for everything. It's like Paul says, for me to live is Christ. In other words, there's nothing else. There's no alternative. There's no secondary. There's no tertiary. There's no other option. There's no, well, I'll give God part of my life and, and take everything else for myself. Everything is about surrendering ourselves to the shepherd and following him to glorify him. Now, here's the problem. Our pride doesn't want to look at it that way. Some people think that praying a prayer at some point in your life secures forgiveness and eternal life but that there really doesn't need to be a complete life change. There doesn't need to be a mind change. The thinking in this is kind of, well, I'll be more moral, and, and I'll make a few changes, and I'll go to church, but, but there's still a lot of status quo of the old life that's being allowed. And I want to tell you this morning, there's not one verse in the Bible that supports that position. In fact, there are hundreds and hundreds of verses that tell us just the opposite. You know, we quote the verse a lot, but I want to say it again this morning. We are called to die to self daily. Which means that Jesus has crucified our old life, so we're no longer under bondage. If you need clarity on that or need to study that more, Romans 5 to 8 talks about the fact that we've been freed from the bondage of sin, that we're released forever, and that God now allows us to live in the freedom of his grace. So I'm not, as a believer, I, I'm not under bondage anymore. I'm not under the control of sin anymore. So the entire purpose of my life now is to only live for the Lord in every single way. There, there is no option other than that. There's no secondary. It's only Paul Rhodes. You are supposed to live for the Lord in every single way, in every single thought, in every single word, in every single action, in every single uh, way you respond to your wife and parent your kids and minister to people and talk about me. In every way you are supposed to live for me. Now, this is where the Lord gave some great insight this week because this is where some of the qualities of being a sheep are very helpful. 
And I believe this is why the Lord doesn't change us from being sheep. He just changes our focus. Now, if you look back at the list you wrote earlier about the qualities of a sheep, let's see how God turns it. Because when we look at those qualities, we go, ooh, that's kind of bad. Those are negative qualities. But listen how God turns it. First of all, sheep are highly dependent, right? Which is good. Because we're called to walk by faith and not by sight. We are called to trust the Lord in everything. So we need to use the inclination as sheep to be highly dependent, not to depend on other people and not to look for things to bring us fulfillment. We need to use that to have a strong faith. Second, we saw that sheep are somewhat unintelligent, right? Ouch, that, that hurts. But, but that's helpful because the fact that we're not wise on our own drives us to uh, search the shepherd's wisdom. It should drive us to this word. I loved what the kid said, and one of the things I love about worldview is it says, every day you have a quiet time. Every day you get in the word. Every day you spend time in the presence of the Lord. And we as adults, we need to be modeling that, right? We, we need to be showing that example to our kids. So, so the fact that we're not very wise should give us a hunger for the Word of God to search His Word and to listen to the Spirit in prayer. Third, what's the third one? Sheep are stubborn, right? Good. Instead of that leading to a rebellious attitude, like I'm crossing my arms and God, I'm not going to follow, I'm not going to do what you say. Let's use our stubbornness to stand firm in our faith. Let's use our stubbornness to stand firm in our conviction, to be determined that in the craziness that's going on right now, we are not going to back down from living for Christ. Number four, sheep are hesitant to listen. So we need to be selective in what we listen to. We need to be hesitant to listen to anything that is not true and honorable and pure and right and lovely and worthy of praise. Let's be very hesitant to receive those things into our heart. Let's be very hesitant to receive media and entertainment and things on our phone that are impure. Let, let, let's resist that. If we're going to be hesitant to listen, let's not be hesitant to listen to the Lord. Let's be hesitant to listen to the world. Because we can turn that quality for good. Number five, sheep are prone to wander away. Good. Instead of wandering away from his presence, let's wander away from temptation. Because he tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, I will always give you a way of escape. Whenever temptation comes, whenever you want to be around people or do things that you know, you know, come on, if you really get down to it, you know this is not pleasing to me. Fine, wander away from it and wander to me. Come into my presence, and I'll help you and sustain you. And finally, sheep are clueless about which way to go without a shepherd, which is not a problem because we have a shepherd. We have a shepherd, and we need to run to the shepherd of the sheep and abide in his presence. See, being a sheep doesn't have to be negative because as long as we're dependent and surrendered and sanctified, then we have an advantage we have an advantage of being a sheep. So that leads us to the third truth. Real quickly, look at the second half of the verse. The Lord is my shepherd, so I have no needs. Now, don't, automatically our mind's gone, oh, wait a second, you don't know my needs. You ought to see my bank account. You ought to see the doctor's report. I have needs. Don't tell me I don't have any needs. Well, 
let's think a little differently here. I think this verse can be read in two ways, so let's deal with the first. Once we understand the heart of the shepherd, and once we understand the responsibility he takes because of that heart, we will be confident that no matter what crisis, what trial, whatever valley we're going through, that the Lord will provide all we need. Now, David was a shepherd, so he knew firsthand what it was like to be a shepherd and what had to be done. He knew from experience that the foremost responsibility of the shepherd is to care for the sheep. You can't lose sight of them. You can't neglect them. You can't let them wander away. You are always attentive. You are always ready to come to their aid. You have to provide for their needs. We'll look at this in a couple weeks. You, you have to take responsibility to, to make sure they have food and water and shelter. And you have to lead and guide them because they will easily wander away. And they're kind of clueless. And they're inclined to, to go away from what's safe and, and to go to what is unsafe unsafe so you have to get them to the right places and when attack comes and when there's some kind of uh, uh, threat against them we'll look at this in a few weeks you have to defend them so the shepherd's vigilant and strong and and faithful and unhesitant to even personally engage to keep the sheep safe the goal is to make sure that these smelly clueless not very smart Stubborn animals, listen now, don't have any needs because they can't provide for themselves. And see, this goes back to saying, I'm a sheep. Because our pride and our humanity says, well, how dare you call me that? I'm stubborn, but I'm not that stubborn. I'm really not smelly. I took a shower this morning, and, and I, I'm pretty smart. I mean, I went to college. I got a degree. I mean, I, I'm good at my job. I know what I'm doing. Listen, we're, we're not thinking about the right thing. We've got to think about this spiritually. The goal is to make sure that the sheep don't have any needs, so the shepherd provides what they need. Now, sheep don't worry because they're not smart enough to worry. They, they, don't, they just go on instinct, and their instinct puts them into dangerous situations. But, but the good shepherd provides, so we don't need anything. And we got to think about this not materially, listen now, not materially, but spiritually. Last night, our kids came home on Friday, and, and we, uh, I was studying, and Julie was working on on take five, and the kids were doing their thing, and, and then about 9.30, they said, we have Father's Day presents. I'm like, okay, well, you know, I didn't expect Father's Day presents, but the kids had been gone last Sunday, and they brought in wrap gifts for me, and I had no clue what they were. That's because we have kind of a running joke in the family. When anybody says, well, Dad, what do you need for Father's Day, or what do you need for your birthday? I say, and I say it truthfully, I'm not being... Uh, you know, falsely modest, I say, I don't need anything. I don't need anything. Now, they love that about me. They think that's one of the greatest things, that I'm always not giving them any help whatsoever. But the fact is, I don't need anything. There are things I want. There are things I'd love to have. But they're expensive and they're unnecessary. But at the end of the day, there is nothing that I need. Now think about that, how true that is spiritually. 
Jesus paid it all. He secures us. He cleanses us. He forgives us. He gives us his spirit. He promises us eternity, and his promises are unbreakable. And he provides all that we need. He does this because he loves us. What an incredible gift that is. And he seals it with his spirit. He confirms it with our faith. He teaches us and guides us through his Holy Spirit and through his word and through prayer. And he gives us the joy of the body. And I want to tell you, there is not one thing we can name that he's left out. There's not one thing we can look at the Lord and go, well, yeah, yeah, but you did not do that. So Hebrews says, how can we neglect so great a salvation? How could we ever think for a moment that we need to doubt or we need to worry or we need to rebel because God's just not doing it right and he's not doing it in the right timing and, he's, and we get kind of whiny, right? Listen, it should be the easiest thing in the world to fully trust him. Because he's proven himself over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And for all eternity, you know what we're going to do? We're going to praise him for what he's done. And we'll never get tired of it. And that leads to the last thought, the, the second application of the verse, all right? The first was, the Lord is my shepherd, so I have no needs. The second is, the Lord is my shepherd, so I can rely on him completely. Now it says... I shall not want. And we've just defined that as confidence that he'll provide. But now read that word. Read those four words as a declaration of intent. A determined, unwavering statement of purpose. A conscious decision to trust him in everything. The Lord is my shepherd. I will not want. See, it's not just God provides everything. That's enough of a powerful truth. But now we have to make a decision. Am I going to continue to worry? Am I going to continue to complain? Am I going to continue to covet? Or am I just going to learn to be content? See, he supplies all that we need. He provides all that we need. He protects us and leads us. What more could we want? Anything else would be selfish and unnecessary. How much of our discontentment in life, listen, think about this. How much of our discontentment in life comes from jealousy and craving what we don't have? And when we keep expecting more and keep demanding more and keep hoping for more and keep thinking about more, you know what that breeds? That breeds discontentment. God's given us everything that we need and more. And you know what we do? We just kind of covet. I want more. Wish I had this. Wish I had those friends. Wish I had that house. Wish I lived here. Wish I had that degree. Wish I had that job. Wish I had more money in my bank account. Wish I had a boat. Wish I had a plane. Wish I had a jet ski. I wish I had this. I wish I had that. And we're constantly kind of, <laughs> well, they've got more. They've got more. They've got more. You know what? You'll never win. You'll never, ever reach a place where you go, okay, I've got everything I need. Because even the richest people in the world are completely discontented. So let's think really quick, time is short, about what God has done for us from three standpoints. First of all, biblically, biblically, 
Let me just read the verses quickly. Write them as fast as you can, okay? Deuteronomy 31.6. I will never leave you or forsake you. Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear because I am with you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Psalm 34.9. The righteous person may have troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalm 138.7, you stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. 2 Samuel 22.3, you're my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my savior. Psalm 121, he will not allow your foot to slip. He will not slumber. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. 2 Thessalonians 3.3, the Lord is faithful. He will protect you from the evil one. All throughout Scripture, and I just read what, eight or nine there? All throughout Scripture, God says, I'll take care of you. I'll shepherd you. I'll provide for you. I'll comfort you. I'll heal you. I'll take care of your needs. You just need to trust me. And, and our striving is, whoa, whoa, whoa. and he said, no, shh, be still, I'm God. Cease striving, stop fighting me, just yield, and I will provide all you need. I'm your shepherd. We also need to think about this experientially. When was the last time the Lord failed you? When was the last time he didn't come to your side when you called out on his name? When was the last time he completely left you high and dry? You're like, well, you know, Paul, I, there, there are times where it seems that way. Yeah, there are. There are also times when we're in trial and where God delays working. You know why he does that? Because we're acting like sheep. And because we need to have our faith stretched and we need to be disciplined. But while we're waiting for him and trying to depend on him, he will never walk away. He'll never let you down. And when we're ready to trust, he will abundantly bless. So there's a biblical proof. There's experiential proof. Finally, we need to think about it logically. Logically. God owns everything. He controls everything. He says, I will supply whatever you need, and I'm gracious, you know that I am, and I will provide because I'm your shepherd. And it is indisputable this morning that he knows best. It is indisputable that he will meet all our needs and more, and if we don't have everything we desire, it's either because we're asking with the wrong motives or because it's wrong for us, or because he's going to give it to us at a later time. But let's never lose sight of the fact that we are sheep. We do not know what's best. We do not know which direction is right. But we can confidently trust him because he is our shepherd. So not only do I not have needs, but I need to learn, as Paul says in Philippians 4, I need to learn to be content. 
In other words, I need to learn to not keep wanting, not keep coveting, not keep craving, not keep demanding. I need to put that passion that I'm wasting on coveting into I will trust him with all my heart and not lean on my own understanding and in all my ways I will acknowledge him. Tell me the rest. He will direct my paths. Let's stop burning so much energy to, oh, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. And let's say, Lord, all I want to do is just trust you. I'm a sheep. I'm a sheep. So I'm going to put my passion into giving you everything I have and trusting you. And there is no one more qualified, no one more sufficient, no one more gracious than our shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's say it again one more time out loud. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Praise the Lord. Let's thank him. Lord, we love you. And we praise you this morning that you are the great shepherd of the sheep. Lord, we confess to you this morning that we are sheep. We're stubborn. We're clueless. We wander into difficulty and danger all the time. And without you, we're completely hopeless. But Lord, we praise you this morning that you